think we all know the pedigree of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology when it comes to bird resources, and we at the ABA are excited to partner with the Cornell Lab of O to offer an amazing deal exclusive to ABA members. ABA members can now get a 15% discount to any new subscription to Cornell's amazing new Birds of the World resource that is applicable for three years. Birds of the World is a powerful resource that brings deep scholarly content from four celebrated works of ornithology into a single platform where birders can answer all their life history questions for every species of bird they could want. It is extraordinary. You can get more information at birdsoftheworld.org. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm your host, Nate Swick. It has been another busy week in the world, if not especially in birding, but some actions taken by organizations outside of the world of birding have got me thinking about an issue that has been one that I have used this platform and others to sort of rail against before, and that is the issue of common bird names, specifically birds named after people. Because it, as has been made clear in the last couple years, people are fallible, especially those from the 17th and 18th centuries. And yes, that was a difficult time for anyone that wasn't a landed white man, but we from our vantage point in the 21st century, get to make decisions about who we honor and how we honor them. And I'm using honor rather than remember, because having a bird named after you is an honor. There's no issue with remembering. We have books and academics and museums for that. But honoring, you know, reading that name in a field guide, saying those names when we lead bird trips and recording those names on our lists and notebooks, that feels a little like something different. So I'm going to call back to the American Ornithological Society's North American Classification Committee's failure last year to take the opportunity to rename McCown's Longspur, the bird named after John McCown, a former Confederate officer during the U.S. Civil War. At the time, it was clear that we were reevaluating how we remember the people who fought in that war, which was... I know it doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. It was fought to defend the continued enslavement of black people. And while the rapid escalation of those recent conversations and actions have surprised me a little bit, it was pretty clear even back then that this was the direction that we were going. And instead of sort of breaking ground here, in the space of 12 months, the birding world is sort of suddenly playing catch up or worse, actually, we're actually standing still. And let me be clear, this is not a criticism of the American Ornithological Society, which is a really great professional society that does the right thing on these issues. They do very good work, even if they did recently change the name of their flagship journal from something distinctive to something kind of boring. But this is, this is the North American Classification Committee's decision. They are a mostly autonomous committee with a very narrow mission, and believe me, when I say that we at the ABA know what it is like to be criticized as an organization for what is perceived to be a bad decision by an autonomous committee. <coughs> Hooded crane. Cough, cough. But I'll be honest and say that I don't even think this is the sort of stuff that they want to handle, this changing, adjusting of common names. In the past, back when it was called the AOU, the committee forswore off any common name changes. Granted, this was back in like 1886, but, you know, they, they only wanted to deal with taxonomic changes, which makes sense. These are scientists, not historians. But at some point in their history, they decided to tackle 
common names in addition to their taxonomic obligations. And since there is no other existing committee that has common names as their purview, and since anyone can put together a proposal and have the NACC vote on it, this is where these common name concerns are going to continue to go. And like these are not going away. They are only going to continue to come to the committee. Last year, in response to the McCown's Longspur non-decision, the AOS and the NACC convened sort of a panel to discuss how to handle these. Uh, I'll be honest, I find it sort of inadequate. It cites the need for nomenclatural stability, quote-unquote, which is a bit of a cop-out in my view, because why is that important when we're referring to an old confederate and not when looking at, say, Gray J? And to be clear, I like the change to Canada J, but come on, that's, that's not very nomenclaturally stable. In the last couple of years, we've welcomed blue-throated mountain gem, finches becoming brush finches, countless hyphen-related decisions. I'm not saying I disagree with any of those. I'm just saying that this rule seems inconsistently applied. So we are at a time where we have the opportunity to reevaluate who these names are for. Are they for old ornithologists who participated in slavery, who participated in the eradication of native people from the continent, grave robbing? Or are they for modern birders who use these names to learn about birds and their environments as hobbyists? And yes, we can just decide to call the birds whatever we want. For instance, I plan on using Okotero for olive warbler, even if the AOS doesn't. But there are some obvious advantages to having consistent names used across field guides and bird lists and eBird and all that. So here's my proposal. Let's remove from the NACC the obligation to tackle common names. Let's create a new committee of stakeholders, scientists, sure, but maybe historians too, birders, field guide authors. Let's address these honorific names. Let's agree on what we will use to replace them. Such a group could look at older names, indigenous names, ecologically useful names, direct translation of Latin names. There's a lot of ways to go in this. Um, you don't have to do the same thing for every bird, but let's make it a thing. Because honestly, all it would take is, is adding these new names to eBird and the ABA checklist and people will go with it. It's not like we aren't used to name changes already. Look, if NASCAR can ban the Confederate flag at its races, if the U.S. Army can consider changing the names of its bases to avoid being associated with old Confederates, we can change the names of a few birds. And you can call me a social justice warrior or say that I'm virtue signaling, but my goal here is that I don't want birding in nature study to be the last vestiges of these racist sympathies, the last group honoring these people with the names of our birds. We've been ignoring this for too long. This train is rolling. We can either get on board or we can get run over. You know where I stand on this. On the show today, we're going to talk about the phenomenon that was the Black Birders Week with two of its co-founders. Karina Newsom and Taiki James were among a group of black birders and naturalists who created Black Birders Week after the racist incident with Christian Cooper in Central Park. Black Birders Week became a big deal. It was featured on CNN, Wired, PBS, a lot of places. I lost track of them all. Karina is a grad student at Georgia Southern. Taiki is the Government Affairs Coordinator for National Audubon. They are both with me after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the second week of June 2020. It has been an amazing time to be a birder in Arizona, with rare Mexican species practically growing on trees out there, as if regular crescent-chested warblers, bear-line hummingbird, and flame-colored tanager weren't enough. The biggest prize came this last week in the form of an eared quetzal, one of the most mysterious birds in the ABA area and arguably in North America, even where it's supposed to be in West Mexico, it's kind of a big deal. 
Most ABA area eared Quetzals have been one day wonders, poorly seen, incredibly lucky circumstances for one birder. But this one in Portal in Cochise County has been showing off for the last several days with some spectacular photos taken, probably some of the best ever taken of this species. And I'd like to use this opportunity to give a shout out to Arizona birders and those who have traveled to see this bird. Evidently, social distancing is being practiced quite well. People are wearing masks, mostly doing a great job. Let's continue to do so given this unusual situation and this extremely exciting bird. I'll make a quick note about Tropical Storm Cristobal, which made landfall near the Louisiana-Texas border and headed north up the Mississippi River Valley. Several states reported sooty turns in the wake of the storm, including Kentucky, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Missouri. That's all I've got for you this week. If you want to see all the Rare Bird records, including those that I did not mention here, head over to the ABA Rare Bird Alert Hub on our website. That is aba.org slash RBA. You get something every Friday morning there. You can also join our ABA Rare Bird Alert Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare or check out our Twitter feed at ABA Bird Alert. Following birder Christian Cooper's encounter with a white woman in Central Park on Memorial Day, a group of black birders and naturalists took it upon themselves to create an online event to celebrate black naturalists and scientists and to draw attention to the unique issues birding and other nature activities can pose to black people. I'm joined today by two of the co-organizers of Black Birders Week. Karina Newsom is an ornithology graduate student at Georgia Southern University and Taiki James is among other things, the host of Onward for Wildlife, a podcast with the Wildlife Observation Network. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. And uh, this is, I think, the first like kind of regular conversation I've had with Karina as a fellow Philadelphian. Oh, really? Oh, happy to yeah. facilitate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I know that there are some great Philly birders out there. Um, and we're not in Philly as Philly birders, but, you know, I definitely think we carry the pride of the city. Absolutely. Yeah. There are a few, uh, few cities in, in North America that are as steeped in ornithological tradition as, as Philadelphia. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Glad to see y'all are both carrying the, carrying the flame. Trying. <laughs> <laughs> it, one of the amazing things about Black Birders Week, at least from the outside looking in, was how quickly it went from an idea to an event, like literally one week after Christian Cooper's encounter, you had launched this thing. How did it come to be and how did it come to be so quickly? Uh, One of the things I've been saying has been, um, you know, there's 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 transcripts of a group chat, you know, of a bunch of black scientists and enthusiasts who care about nature and um, care about the black experience. Um, after profound reflection of the racist event that happened over Memorial Day weekend, um, it was like, hey, let's we should we should champion black birders. Like, you know, this is not a time to be disappointed as a black birder. This is let's let's turn this into an opportunity to celebrate mm-hmm. the, the experience. And and then we were looking at doing it for a day, and now and, and then you know through conversations we turned into a week, um, and. It was like the it was like we were building a bike as we rode it, but the bike was <laughs> going down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It took a lot of speed, really fast, and it was quite an adventure. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah. So after um, the the seed was kind of planted, and uh, Anna, who is a part of our group, mm-hmm. so essentially we were there was a there's a group chat that has been in existence for probably a year now, and it's just a bunch of people 
black people in STEM who met on Twitter and online. And, and we were, you know, we had this really like too big Twitter DM situation going on. So Jason Ward, <laughs> our friend was like, you know, I'm going to make a group me so we can all kind of more easily talk to each other. And ever since then, again, about a year ago, we've just had this space to be friends. Some of us have been able to link up in real life, um, kind of just have a place to decompress, share our experiences and have fun. And so then when this incident happened in, in New York City, uh, Anna, who's one of the people in the group, who's actually not a naturalist, she's a, a an economist, so she's in the math side of STEM. She mm-hmm. was the first one to say, we need to do something to like highlight, you know, black birders. And then Taiki was right there. And the, the idea kind of built from there. And then you had people who, you know, volunteered to make graphics, you know, and this happened yeah. again, very quickly, graphics, um, people who kind of hashed out the schedule for the week, people who did a lot of like reaching out to media. So that's kind of what I did spend most of my time doing was um, reaching out to different media outlets using my own connections and connections mm-hmm. from other people and kind of facilitating everyone getting, you know, the chance to talk to press. Um, and so we all did, you know, played our, our different role. We were all different parts of the bike, as you might say. Yeah. And it just kind of, yeah, it's picked up speed very quickly. Yeah. I know. I mean, it got a ton of attention, you know, mm-hmm. pretty quick, which is still happening. You know, how did it feel to watch this thing blow up like it did? Like, what did you think was the kind of the floor for this? And how did that differ from what actually happened? Well, I think Karina's video, the way it started off the week, I think that was super epic. Uh, You know, even though I was like a part of bringing it to, I was just like, oh my God, I want to do this. (laughs) Like, I was just like, yeah, Karina, yes, I I want, I want to be a part of this now. I'm like, oh, I have a lot to do now. But, you know, that, that, that's really how it felt. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I didn't really digest what was happening as much as I was just in the act of doing things, you know, of making sure we were passing the mic and making sure we were sharing platforms and making sure uh, to the best of our ability, we could, you know, bring more people to the table when, when someone invited us to speak somewhere or, or, or something like that. And I think that that's still going, uh, the opportunities from Blackbirders Week, because I'm sure there's a lot to respond to, not just in my DMs or, or our personal DMs, I should say, but to the uh, Black AF and STEM Gmail. How many people are involved in the Black AF and STEM account? There's like a hundred people total in the in that are in the group chat, uh, but there are probably maybe thirty five active, like on a regular basis, engaging um, in the you know regular conversations and planning yeah. Blackbirders Week. Yeah, you couldn't have done this without social media. I mean, it was is really interesting because this is you know not the first time that you know, diversity has tried to be approached in the birding community, but I, it, it's arguably the most successful. And I don't think that you, you couldn't have done it without, you know, without this huge buy-in from the social media community from, you know, and, and how adept you all are at, you know, using that and, and kind of bending it to focus on what you want to focus on. Yeah, definitely. I think we all used the the kind of niche that we, that we occupy in our social media space. Um, and mm-hmm. so not all of us are, are, big into social media, like many of many of the people in the group are kind of new to the uh, Twitter world, Instagram world, mm-hmm. what have you. But I think that those of us who have been using it for a long time tried to employ our the things we've learned, the platforms that we already had to kind of spread the message. Um, and and then everyone used kind of the skills and what they had to offer to to make this a functioning uh, team. So, mm-hmm. yeah. How vital has social media been for building this community in the first place? I mean, uh, to be honest, to be specific about social media, 
black Twitter is family and black Twitter, you know, exists on a spectrum like most things. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there was so much, so many, I mean, especially on the first day, uh, black in nature, so many black people outdoors, you know, just doing their thing, enjoying their hobby with their family, seeing that all over social media, especially on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, is just something that uh, meant so much to me to see um, that, you know, the black experience in nature is a part of the national conversation right now. Yeah, I mean, it certainly felt like, you know, birds and birding have been getting a lot of attention lately since the pandemic started. And then you kind of combine it with this, you know, this global Black Lives Matter movement focusing on violence against Black people and police brutality specifically. And sort of into that intersection of these two things come you guys. Um, How do you think you fit in there? And how do you feel like you sort of were relating to both of these phenomena? I think that the Black experience, regardless of whether you're someone who is an outdoor professional or enthusiast or whatever you're doing, a lot of the experiences of Black people are similar. And the the experiences I've had and, and that my friends have had as a birder, they've had as a Black person doing almost anything, kind of being subject to the impacts of white supremacy and the centering of white interests and white life compared to everyone else's. And so the the incident that took place with Christian was, was kind of like a... a a very good description, like a a very good example of how these two issues intersect, white supremacy, the, the, the weaponization of police against black people and people, black people being outside, minding their business and doing their lives, whatever it might be, um, Mm -hmm. burning. And so I think that the way that our movement intersects and and, and parallels and is part of actually um, the black lives matter movement and protesting police brutality is that we are trying to, uproot the way that white supremacy has manifested in our fields and mm-hmm. presents the same kinds of dangers to black people in our field. And so even though like it was very much a celebration that the really unique and awesome thing about Black Birders Week was that at this like the act of us disrupting the norm that, you know, the outdoors and exploring the outdoors is for white people, that, you know, it's not welcoming to black people or that it's not for black people, like the act of posting pictures of ourselves, the act of engaging in conversation was disrupting that norm. And it was also providing hope and joy in the same breath. You know what I mean? Like seeing me seeing black faces, not only show the world that we're here, it showed black people, it gave black people a sense of community and connection that oftentimes we don't feel in real life because we tend to be the only ones in our physical spaces. And so to me, it, it is very much part of, you know, the valuing black lives, black experiences and uprooting, you know, white supremacy, wherever it manifests, but specifically in STEM and outdoor exploration. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Did you want to add anything? Sorry. No, I just, just wanted to verbally read. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, did you have a favorite part of Black Birders Week? Something that was, you know, particularly moving from your perspective or, or you felt was, you know, potentially game changing? Hmm. Uh, I mean, honestly, the first time, like I said, it, during the week, it was hard for me to digest anything emotionally. But like one time that I almost cried was when I was looking at a picture and I, I this is how I've been describing it. It is a picture of a woman and, and perhaps, you know, her daughter. She has like her phone in her back pocket and then a field guide also in her back pocket And she's like kneeling down with her child and like they're pointing at something. And I think the child has binoculars Mm. and like that just brought 
almost a tear in my eye because I was just thinking how important that moment was for them and how lovely that they shared that with the world. And part of the reason that they felt like sharing it was something that started, you know, in a group chat and and it became very real and it, you know, started to make real impacts in people's lives. And knowing that I was a part of it was just like in that moment, just it felt so humbling and and being present in that, um, you know, I'll I'll never forget that image. I, I hope I see it again, but it is just something that underlines the importance of changing the culture of conservation and making sure that this is an inclusive space for generations yet to come. My favorite part was the first day of Black Birders Week, which in the hashtag that we were using for engagement was Black in Nature and kind of what Taiki was describing. I woke up that morning and it, it had already taken off. I woke up kind of late, I'll be honest, but I, I opened up Twitter and, and I I like searched the hashtag and the, the, the sheer volume of Black people that I saw I, I literally cried. I was still in bed, had tears, you know, streaming into, you know, p- pulling into my into my ears. I, I was crying because I had never seen that many black people. And I didn't even know that there were that many black people, um, as many as I saw online. And of course, there are more than that. But mm-hmm. I didn't think that there would be nearly that many black people doing the thing that I love doing, because I've, again, very much felt like the only one, like the like in isolation a little bit when I engage in this work. And so I was just full of hope and encouragement. Was that a moment where you realized that you had sort of tapped into something that was bigger than what you thought you had, oh, you know, at the beginning? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And because along with me seeing those images and, you know, feeling overwhelmed with joy, like other Black people were sharing, oh my gosh, I didn't know I was, I wasn't the only person who, you know, X or Y or Z. And it was just to, to, to see so many people feel less alone and like for that to be so obvious was mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. So I really enjoyed the, the, the panels that you did, that you hosted on the National Audubon's Facebook page. Um, Definitely some, you know, important discussions that were had there. And I want to focus on a couple of things that came out of those because they, they strike me as things that need to be reiterated to the birding community, maybe to the community at large as well. Um, there was a, a little bit of talk about the response to Black Birders Week in various Facebook groups, particularly the charge that you know this acknowledgement of the experiences of Black birders is, you know, quote unquote, political. I saw it in a group I admin. I saw it in a group that, and in other groups that I'm a member of. You know, what do you say to this? You better tell them, Karina. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the, so I have many emotions about this and that I've still sure. been processing. Um, but the, the hurtful thing about it, well, first of all, it's hurtful, but the, the hurtful thing about it is that people, white people in particular, because white people are the only people I've seen say these things online and true. on numerous groups, um, is that y- you are so unaware of your own privilege, A, and B, of the fact that people have different life experiences than you, that you are unwilling to listen to someone's humanity and that you are so quick, that, you, you, that you're so quick to, to tell someone their story is false, that it doesn't matter, that it's political, like, like, like a choice, you know what I mean? As, as if one's ethnic identity is something they can choose to put on like a political party um, or, or a political opinion. And it's, it's, it's infuriating, honestly, because 
the 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 issue the biggest issue with like these like groups that I'm a part of that I you know these different birding groups or outdoor naturalist groups is that that all of the posts are censored right so so they go mm. through a filter of like administrators or, or someone kind of running the page and before our our message our story can even get to anyone's ears it's shut down and the issue with that is that if you are telling me you know and in in addition to people saying that it's political people say that you know birds don't see color and that the outdoors are <laughs> neutral spaces, which is false. All of it's false. Right. Um, and you can choose to not see color. I cannot choose to not see color because my survival and my daily peace is directly impacted by my color. And um, so the, the great thing about black birders week is that it lifted our voices over these barriers that individually we have all who, who have kind of been active in these groups have come up against. And um, my charge to people who are responsible for dismissing black experience is that you saying that you saying, Oh, you can't talk about blackness here. That's too political or it will, it will cause conflict. You are actively excluding black people. That's not just saying, you know, it, it, it might seem like you're just trying to keep the peace, but what you're telling black people is that your story isn't welcome here. Therefore, and a story that's just, that is so central to our, our, our peace and to our safety. And so you're telling me that this space is not for me and I'm not going to show up to your events. I'm not going to show up to your burning walks. I'm not going to show up to your community events because you have this, you have, you have demonstrated that this is not a space where I'm welcome. Um, so that's kind of my response to those statements. Yeah. The, the irony of course, being that like, choosing not to give those give that space is the political act i mean that right. is the political act right, right. yeah exactly <laughs> making that decision yeah mm-hmm. yeah and, and and one of the things that i thought was really great about the burning well black panel um was a point that you made taiki about how you know this is existential for the environmental movement for these organizations like if you're not engaging uh the voices of black people the voices of latinx people the voices of whoever like you are essentially sentencing your movement, your organization. That's a death sentence. Like Absolutely. you're not going to get the people that you need to do the work you need to do. Absolutely. And I think any organization, especially these major membership based organizations that mobilize their members to talk to members of Congress to make sure mm. the right laws get passed. You have to understand the demographics of this country are moving so that the majority of people are going to be what we call minorities today. And, you know, we know that there's a growing population of non-white people in this country that, um, you know, by I think 2050, we are going to see that that majority shift. And the organizations that are that have benefited from and continue to perpetuate anti-black racism and white supremacy are, I think, at this moment at a crossroads of seeing, do we continue to accept these benefits of the membership that we have in anti-Black racism and white supremacy, or are we going to try something new and actually bring folks to the table that need to be here and actually build a movement that's not only inclusive, but equitable? Mm. Yes. And there's another thing that kind of struck me when you were talking about the, in in this panel, was that you were talking about the kind of the experiences of Black birders meeting people on the trail or engaging with people in the field was that, you know, I think birders frequently have kind of a weird way of greeting people in the field that can feel kind of accusatory, <laughs> you know, like the last, you know, have you seen anything good? And if you're on the receiving end of that, it can feel like you're sort of being tested a little bit and maybe subconsciously mm-hmm. you are, I don't know. It struck me that if we change some of these habits, you know, we are doing good work, not only to make black birders feel like they're welcome, but also anyone who might be coming to these communities with some anxiety about fitting in, 
Um, obviously, there are is the need for these sort of larger systemic changes. But do you think that there are little changes that every individual birder can make to make people feel more welcome, more comfortable? Do you think those can help as well? Uh, well, I mean, I hope you. Are, I, I have a metaphor. <laughs> okay. you know, do it. Yeah. Like you know how plastic exists. I didn't create plastic. You didn't create plastic. But we both know that we have a role in recycling at the very least. You know, like the problem that plastic exists is a problem in and of itself. How we deal with the problem can also be a problem. So if we're not all doing our part, at least in the plastic metaphor, we're not doing what we can to make sure the environment is safe and clean for our immediate community. Mm, yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, when I think about what individuals can do, I think that it's difficult to ask someone to change their visceral reactions because I think that a mm -hmm. lot of people, in my experience and in what I've heard from my friends, it's like black person on the trail encounters, you know, family of white people exploring outside. And the gut immediate reaction is to, is for, is at least the way that it appears to us is there's like palpable discomfort, right? Like there's mm -hmm. a, a, like either you are startled or, or feel like fearful in that moment, but there's a visceral reaction that the person has, I think even before they can choose to have it. Um, I think people need to work on the reason why that is. I think the reason why people feel that is because we have been fed narratives about who's outside. And again, this is kind of what Black Birders Week was getting at is like, we have an image of who should be outside because of what we've seen in the media, what we've seen in real life, the fact that our our friend groups and the, and the people in our circles or in, in, in many white people's circles are, are like them. So they're not used to even encountering black people. Um, I think people have to do the work to know black people. You have to do the work to to be in relationship with people who are not like you to, to even get at the gut reactions that you have that are, that can be harmful. And then of course the reaction, your own response to your own gut reaction can be, can be, you know, decided upon. So are you going to call the cops on the black person because they look suspicious or are you going to mind your business or are you going to friend, you know, have a friendly um, brief conversation with them? What are you going to do? And I think that people um, need to be conscious of, trying to keep themselves comfortable and, you know, people who use things like calling the police, like bringing in essentially like dangerous and, you know, basically weaponizing the maintenance of their own comfort. Like you, you yeah. do not protect your comfort at the expense of black people or of, of people who are not like you outside. And so I think people have to make that conscious choice and then work on the, 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 the environment they've created them for themselves that allows them to, expect to only see white people or not to expect to see black people. So I think there's some personal work that has to be done. Absolutely. I love that. That was, that's, that's like a chef's kiss. That's, <laughs> we, we need that. Especially that part about uh, minding your own business. Listen. That is always <laughs> I, I tell people to subscribe to um, <laughs> actually daily. If you're, if you're a really good member of the mind your own business magazine, Listen. they have a for daily uh, uh, subscribers. <laughs> yes. Just wanted to give that a plug. <laughs> In some ways, it is an issue that is you know bigger than birding, but it's an absolutely an issue that like every single birder needs to engage with and decide to be a, a part of the solution. I think that's one thing that Black Birders Week definitely you know made explicitly clear mm -hmm. that this is something that birders cannot afford to you know, ignore. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we treat birding as, you know, an escape from these yes. issues, but it's, it's not, it's not like it is a part and parcel of everything else that's going on. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, it's a mirror. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to say now, and I'm going to keep saying that 
they need to make a remake of the big year because there is so much <laughs> culture that they need to update that they oh, yeah. need that there needs to be commentary for i'm not saying i could help write some of those jokes but <laughs> if you're listening to black you know i'm just saying if you did a big year two movie whatever it is make sure black birders week is in it or something i don't know I don't oh know. yeah yeah yeah. We okay. We need to. Well, we'll talk later about that, Taiki, because we need to start moving on that. Actually, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, like, where does Blackbirders go from here? I mean, that there you go. Yeah. Can before I lose this thought, can I add this one more thing? Go for it. Okay, real quick. So the other, the one, the 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 other thing that is extremely important that that birders do, and white birders in particular, is to hold other white birders accountable and to mm-hmm. not participate in the silencing of black people's voices, black people's stories black people's experiences and to extinguish the the false reality that you might have that this is neutral space this is a neutral activity because it's not neutral um it may feel neutral for you um but that is a reality that no one else (laughs) most people most of the people in this country do not occupy if you are not a white person so um reject that and reject you know that norm in the spaces you occupy and hold other people accountable for not censoring black voices as I said, but where does Blackbirders Week go from here? I know I realized that it was not that long ago that it ended, and maybe you know maybe you don't want to think about you know the next steps. But what what do you have other things planned? Obviously, there's a ton of momentum here. How do you keep that momentum going? I think that there are some great answers to that question. Um, I'm going to take the route of aspirational. There you go. Um, there is a very very popular black family in this country, um, the mm-hmm. Obama. I believe that's yeah. that how you I haven't heard much from um, I'm not saying it's a dream. I'm not saying it's a goal, but just imagine, you know, just imagine just for a second, you know, birding with Obama. Am I the only one? You know, he came out to the, uh, you know, I live in North Carolina and he came out mm. to walk the Appalachian trail when he was uh, president, not Stop. that long ago. So it is not a stretch to imagine I've already we've already come up with a hashtag burning with the Obamas. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> we're ready. We're exactly. got everything exactly. in line. <laughs> um, but honestly, where it goes is kind of back to where it started. Black AF and STEM. Um, it's a bunch of black folks that are 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 you know very enthusiastic about what they do, uh, whether that is wildlife conservation, whether that is in mathematics or engineering and uh, building that group and seeing what what we can do collectively is, I think, is going to be what will be the next step. What we can mm-hmm. do collectively. Yeah, and we're also we built a surprisingly large social media platform in this time, mm-hmm. and like our Instagram and Twitter's are both like in the twenty thousands of followers. And so mm-hmm. now that we have these platforms and have people who are offering us resources, we are structuring ourselves to be able to use those resources to accept them and use them to advance. Uh, black people in this space. And so, you know, in addition to, you know, the platform and the resources, all of us, as Taiki mentioned, have different kinds of expertise. Some of us are, as Mm -hmm. I said, mathematicians uh, in economics and in natural sciences, whatever it might be. And we have uh, information to offer younger black people who are either in or interested in entering the STEM space. And so we are going to put to use the expertise that is in our ranks to to contribute to the professional development and edification of this next generation. And so right now we're in the process of basically formalizing our group and and you know structuring ourselves to be able to accomplish those kinds of goals and 
use our platform to its greatest capacity. Yeah, make it a nonprofit. Go mm-hmm. all the way. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Congrats on everything that you've done with uh, Black Birders Week. Um, yeah, what an amazing accomplishment. Uh, you can find both Karina and Taiki on Twitter and Instagram. Karina Newsom is at hood underscore naturalist on both. Taiki James is at Taiki underscore James on Twitter and without the underscore on Instagram. He's also the host of Onward for Wildlife, so check that out as well. Uh, links to all those things will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, uh, Taiki and Karina, for your time. Of course. Thank, Thank you for you having great. us. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. We are a nonprofit, membership-driven organization, and the best way to support this podcast and the many other things we do for the birding community is to join the ABA. You get magazines, you get discounts to our partners, you can help us do stuff like this. We even have e-memberships and discounted memberships for young birders. Get more information at aba.org slash join. I want to make a special shout out to Liza Morse of South Burlington, Vermont, Juan and Michelle Nogueras of Parkland, Florida, Neil Allen of Greeley, Colorado, Tony Blake of Edgeware. I think that's in the United Kingdom. There's no state province. So, and I, you know, I looked on Wikipedia, so that's all I got. So Tony Blake from Edgeware, UK, Amanda Young, who is serving overseas, Brad Schnell from Schofield, Wisconsin, John Benner of Needham, Massachusetts, and Joe Ariana of Beverly, Massachusetts, all of whom joined the ABA recently and noted the podcast. Thank you so much for joining or rejoining. Welcome or welcome back to the ABA. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. I got no jokes here. I just want to point out that John Kirk Townsend of Warbler and Solitaire fame robbed Native American graves in the mid-1800s and took the skulls to Eastern North America where they still are in museums. They have not been repatriated. Technical direction is by John Lowry. Have you guys heard of Charles Bendire of the Thrasher, who was a soldier who took part in many battles to enforce removal of Native Americans from the Western US? At least he fought on the right side of the Civil War. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who worked together, much like Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, who had, respectively, a woodpecker and a nutcracker named after them. But is there a bird named after William Clark's slave, known only as York, who was the first African-American to cross North America? And despite playing a role in the expedition team equal to that of anyone else, he was denied his freedom by Clark multiple times upon their return. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com birders, and on Twitter at aba. Even John James Audubon himself was known to traffic in human remains, some of whom were cited by eugenicists of the early 1800s, which doesn't mean the organization needs to change its name or anything. He is sort of a George Washington character in American Birding, but does he really need an Oriole, Shearwater, and a Warbler named after him? Questions and comments can come to me at podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy, and I'll be back next week. <laughs>